You are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Mike. And it's just me again this week. Austin is uh, on a trip to New Orleans to uh, make some connections, to network a little bit, and to pick up some of the last few things that he will need for one of his upcoming uh, classes. So tonight, um, or this week, I should say, maybe, (laughs) for this episode, this will probably be a mini episode, uh, I want to talk about the aura. Uh, Because the aura is something I think that a lot of people struggle to clearly identify. Um, It can be very difficult to find reliable information. And I think as we we tend to kind of veer more into the realm of traditional witchcraft and kind of those kinds of spiritual practices, I think sometimes that the uh, idea, the concept of the aura can get a little bit lost. Or there are maybe people who want to still maybe work with something like the aura but don't really know how to apply that to their witchcraft. Um, So we're going to talk about that. And again, we're going to talk about the aura as it applies to the practice of witchcraft and how you in your own magical practice can use the aura as another means of uh, energetic transfer and manipulation and manifestation. So I am going to, uh, in the process of kind of talking about this tonight, I am going to remove the information and the details, the the influences that we see uh, around the aura coming from Eastern mysticism, mainly because most of those practices, most of what you would identify as Eastern mysticism, Hinduism, Buddhism, these kinds of things, there are many. Um, but these spiritual uh, practices where we actually see um, recognition of things like the aura, uh, chakras, these kinds of things, um, I'm removing all of that because all of that information is highly appropriative and none of that is a component of traditional witchcraft. Um, those spiritual practices do certainly have something that would be within the realm of witchcraft, um, but those are, are typically highly initiatory and uh, would be considered closed practices. So we're not talking about any of that Eastern stuff tonight. Okay, This is purely traditional witchcraft and the focus is for the aura within that particular kind of practice. Okay, So having said that, um, let's dive in. So I think really a good place to start is to really just say that the the most effective way I think to really work with the aura as a witch is to think of it as um, kind of like an echo or a symbiotic energetic body. Um, So something like an additional or a a secondary body um, that is complete within itself. And it's not really an intelligent kind of a thing, at least not in its own, because it is still kind of seen as a projection of our being, our intelligence. Um, But it is also, in a sense, kind of its own symbiotic kind of a creature. And it's with us all the time. Um, It responds immediately to the changes that we encounter in our our day-to-day life, uh, both physically and, and energetically, spiritually, right? Because remember, everything is just energy, right? Um, It serves to filter unwanted energies and also helps connect us to the network of energies around us. So it's not really a barrier or a shield so much as it is a a filter or something that is kind of like a selective conduit uh, between us and the external things that we may experience. Um, And it, it is a vital part of any working that we really do as magical practitioners because it does sit between us and everything else that we will ever encounter. Um, any projection of energy that you send out, any projection of energy that may, may reach or return to you um, is going to have to filter through your auric field, your aura. 
Um, so it is something that we definitely maybe do want to be a bit more conscious of as we are working as witches. Um, the aura also facilitates or supports psychic communication between different types of beings. Okay. Um, and uh, also energetic transfer as it might relate possibly to healing. Healing work specifically is very highly impacted by the auric field or the aura. Um, so I guess from that, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the layered or like the, the structure of the aura. Um, <clears throat> and I guess the, the best place to start is to explain that the the aura is one body, just like we are one being, right? Our physical body, we are one being, but we also know that within that one being that we have different systems, right? Almost like different layers or, or again, different systems of our body, right? We have, you know, our muscular system, we have our skeletal system, we have, you know, organs, we have all of these things, even down to out, out to the, the external component of our body, our skin, right? We know that the skin, the dermis has multiple layers, right? The aura is uh, very similar in that it has multiple layers. There are three layers primarily, and though we see three separate layers, again, it is considered one body, okay? But each of those layers has a very particular purpose, Okay. And each of those layers, uh, in a sense, kind of anchors, kind of tethers, or I would almost say like kind of emanates or originates from one of the primary energy centers that we acknowledge in traditional witchcraft. Those are going to be your lower energy center, which kind of sits in your pelvis, your pelvic area, your heart center, and then the one in the middle of your head, your mind. Okay. Those are the three energy centers that would be commonly seen in traditional witchcraft. And there's a lot of lore and information about those three energy centers um, popping up in many different traditions. Okay. Um, but each layer of the aura is going to connect to one of these. The immediate, the closest layer of the aura, the one that sits the closest to our bodies, our physical bodies, the immediate layer usually sits just off the surface of our skin. And it moves out or can move out from the physical body, sometimes up to several feet, depending on what's kind of happening, uh, both within us, like how we're responding to our world, and also the actual external stimuli that are that are going on around us. Um, again, the aura is never static. It is always in flux. It is always acting and in response to something. Okay, uh, but this aura anchors to the lower energy center of the body. And again, the one that we see kind of in our lower torso or our pelvis. This layer responds to and transmutes physical energy into etheric or spiritual energy. And it also does this kind of in reverse. So basically what that means in the context of witchcraft is that it is this layer of the aura that helps us to direct the and transmute the physical energy that we build, say in the process maybe of working a mill, some other sort of physical activity that allows us to raise energy, some component of how we then project that and change that from a purely physical energy into something that would be more etheric, some of that is, some, is going to be filtered through the immediate layer of the aura outward. Um, so this layer of the aura obviously has a lot to do with physical energy, okay? It works the same way or it works the opposite direction as well, in that most of the etheric or energetic things that we encounter and experience, things coming at us from the external, will filter through and ultimately kind of register within this layer before moving down into that lower energy center. This is why we see situations where maybe we have like a, a you know, who knows, a spiritual interaction of some kind, and then we as a, as a consequence or as a result of that, we actually have like a physical sensation, right? Like you get like a chill down your spine or 
who knows, right? It could be anything, right? But this is this is kind of one of the, or is really kind of the important component of this part, this layer of the aura. Um, it, uh, it helps to protect us, this immediate layer, it helps to protect us from things that negatively impact us on a physical level, okay? And that doesn't mean, that does not mean that it's going to necessarily, you know, save us from that car crash or, you know, maybe stop that bullet from hitting us. You know, it doesn't mean, right, obviously you know this, right? We all have accidents, we all hurt ourselves physically, we all have issues with physical illness at some point. Um, so it's not really doing that, but it is working, I think, to support and to to kind of boost the overall physical strength and the physical power of our being and our body, okay? At least if we are um, healthy and in balance in other ways, okay? Um, this layer of the aura is also directly connected to primal emotion, like fear and anger. This is one of the reasons why um, when we get like a, through external stimulus, we get kind of like that fight or flight response um, and we, we react emotionally and we very quickly see that emotion kind of filter into that that external influence or stimulus filter down into like physical body response that's a component of this layer of the aura or how it works with the other components of our being um the secondary layer okay rests about two or excuse me one to two i apologize one to two feet out from the physical body sorry about that it's been a long day um this this secondary layer um it, it again it kind of kind of hovers it kind of kind of sits about one to two feet out from the physical body but it also can move uh, outward from the physical body um you know by by quite a, a large margin actually um depending on again on what we're experiencing um, so it's this, the secondary layer anchors in the middle energy center of our being, um, what we would call maybe like our heart space, kind of like that space kind of right behind your sternum, right? Um, and this layer responds to and transmutes energy in the same way that the immediate layer does, but it focuses more on emotional energy. So this is the, uh, layer of the aura that kind of, uh, works as a conduit for, um, say like when we're conjuring or we're, we're raising intense emotional energy toward a particular working or cause that's going to be uh, where this layer of the aura is something that can be effectively utilized as a focus or as a tool to channel that. So um, as I was saying, it transmutes emotional energy into the physical um, and spiritual uh, realms of existence. And also back, it works again kind of the same way. It's, it's kind of a two-way street. So this is one of the ways that um, we are able to pick up on emotional kinds of sensory things that come from spirit. Um, if we are doing psychic kinds of work where we are um, like truly intuitively empathic, this layer of the aura and the corresponding heart center are really where a lot of that communication happens. Um, this, the secondary layer is a bridge, um, as I was just saying, that actually makes most forms of spiritual communication possible. Um, so if any of you are listening to this and you're working really hard at kind of developing your skills with things like telepathy, things like that, which is is legit, you know, it's extremely rare, but it is legit. Um, but in developing your skill with something like that, it's actually going to be better for you to be focusing on your heart center and the corresponding energies there rather than like your, your mind. Um, because a lot of that is going to be based on very primal emotional kinds of communication. Um, the secondary layer helps us to form and sustain emotional bonds with others, and it is a key component in uh, really, again, any kind of energetic healing process, because in order for there to really be effective energetic healing taking place, there has to be some sort of emotional transfer. Um, and that can be you as a healer caring for the person that you're, um, that you're doing your work for, or it can be the person receiving your healing um, who is just very 
very hopeful and very happy that somebody is actually assisting them, right? There's an emotional exchange or usually an emotional uh, transfer either way. Um, ideally both ways. Um, but that's one of the things that makes uh, energetic healing work so much more effectively. Um, all emotion, everything that we experience externally, emotionally, and even the emotion we, we, we experience within, all of that emotion is going to impact this layer of the aura. Um, and so this layer, the secondary layer of the aura is one that can be, I think, a bit more... Um, erratic not erratic what am i trying to say this one moves a lot we'll just say that like this one is constantly in in in, a, in movement like you know all of them are constantly moving but this one because by nature we tend to be very emotional little beings the secondary layer as it connects to the emotional component of our of our being um is is going to be pretty busy um the the third layer the tertiary or third layer of the um aura is going to actually rest about three to four feet out from the physical body and this one is um this one can extend really really quite a ways actually um it is not limitless necessarily in its extension um but it, it can go go pretty far um and the interesting thing about this one is that it, in the process of witchcraft, it this is the the layer of the aura that allows us to actually, or that we can effectively project. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a moment, okay? Um, the third layer anchors to the upper energy center that we usually see in our head. A lot of, a lot of people like to call it your third eye or your mind's eye. Um, this layer transmits and receives mental and spiritual energies, okay? And so what I guess what I mean by that, because it's all potentially, it's all energy, right? And a lot of it is all, it's all spiritual energy, right? But but this layer is going to be um, one that allows us to um, more effectively logic and analyze uh, energetic and spiritual kinds of stimuli um, because it anchors directly into the kind of the higher functioning of our thinking brain, right? Um, so there's a lot of, lot of lot to do with the mind here, okay? Um, it protects our individual identity, our ego. Okay. Um, and it's also what you could call maybe like the, the thread or kind of like the, it, it is one end of the thread that connects us to what you could consider like the collective consciousness or higher kinds of consciousness. You know, if you're someone that, that lends, you know, uh, a little bit of belief to the idea of, you know, humanity being a component of, of, you know, like a collective kind of a consciousness or say, you know, all the, the, you know, the beings that we work with, spirits, gods, whatever they may be, that we're all kind of a collective, this particular uh, layer of the aura and its corresponding energy center in the head are uh, kind of like, that's kind of our, our cord or our string that ties us to the rest of that web. Um, so this is, again, kind of a really important one. Um, I mentioned a moment ago that it's something that can actually protect our individual identity and ego. And I want to take like just a little bit of an aside on that, because when we talk about ego, there are a lot of spiritual movements out there that are all about uh, ego death and killing the ego. And I, I just want you all to hear this to know right now that the ego is not a bad thing. The ego is you. And you, you can't really kill the ego. There is no such thing as ego death. Um, and anybody out there, particularly people in the New Age community that are kind of pushing the agenda of ego death, these are typically misguided people. They're uh, the philosophies and the theories behind where they're, 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 you know, behind this idea of ego death are usually not researched. It's bullshit. It's fiction. Um, and to be honest, anybody that's going to step up and tell you that you need to kill your ego is someone that's very clearly operating from a position of negative ego, right? Because who the hell are they to tell you that, 
right? Um, so don't be worried about trying to kill your ego. You need your ego. Your ego is you, right? And you can see both negative and positive manifestations of ego in your life. We all do because we are both positive and negative in the way that we interact and live our lives, right? So um, so I just wanted to talk about that very briefly uh, because there will be people out there that will hear the word ego and go to a bad place and it's, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. Um, so moving on, um, or, or adding on, I should say, to the end of conversation around the three layers of the aura, though we see three distinct layers and they all connect to very different energy centers within the body, I do want to again remind you all that the, the aura is one energetic body. It has layers, but it is still just one energetic body. Now, focusing a bit more on how we can work with the aura as witches, okay? When we as witches, when we do our energy work, when we do our divinatory work, when we um, do our spell work, whatever you may call it, when we do these things, we can consciously focus our aura outward toward the things that we see or that we understand are going to be involved in the either the information that we need Maybe it's the result of uh, the spell that we're working toward, right? But basically, we have this ability if we if we think about this and if we develop our skill around this idea, right? And we we have this ability if we include this in the other steps of our of our, our spell work and our, our ritual and divinatory work. We have this ability to project the aura outward toward that situation or whatever it is that we're we're really trying to accomplish, right? Um, and. I want you to to kind of expand on that. I want you to think of the aura rather than just like this kind of just this shimmering bubble of energy around you. Instead, I want you to visualize it more like the uh, body of an, an amoeba, right? Microscopic life, an amoeba, right? Um, and most of you, if you you know, if you you're at all up on you know your biology, amoeba are these microscopic little life forms that are you know they tend to be um, I believe they're macrophages or a type of macrophage where basically they they kind of just float around, right? And they don't really have any higher function or higher reasoning, right? They kind of just basically just float around or exist, you know, and they bump into things and they have this, um, again, kind of just the, the nature of the outer layer of their, their bodies, right? Their, their physical being, they have this ability to, when they bump into something to determine like, oh, you know, like this is something good for me. This is something edible. I'm going to basically take this in. And what they'll do is they'll basically just absorb that thing. They pull it into their body where they, they slowly digest it and it becomes a source of energy, right? Um, it works the other way too, right? If they bump into something that maybe isn't so good, then, well, you know, I don't want that, right? And then they, they, they move away from that thing, right? Um, but our aura can actually be very similar in that it is something that is constantly shifting. It's, it's not a static form of energy. And it's something that we actually can have control over if we can project it if we can focus our intent and visualize and use use that in the right way we can project the aura and much like the body of an amoeba we can send it out towards something um, and then pull that use that energetic connection to pull that thing closer to us a little bit of a kind of a little bit of an out there kind of an idea but but this this works okay um so I want to encourage you the next time that you're doing this uh, or doing a working of some kind, or even if maybe you're just sitting down to say, maybe like to read your tarot cards or something, you know, if you're sitting down and, and you, you're like, I have an answer, I need a question to, you know, and you know that there's a, a particularly important piece of information um, that you could actually even maybe find tethered to a person or a physical place, I want you to sit down and I want you to visualize that field of energy around your body and actually pushing that out toward in your mind's eye, pushing that out toward that person, that place, that thing 
thing, whatever that may be. In doing that, I would not, you're, you, you may be surprised. You're going to probably get some very cool information and probably have um, what I would hope would be a deeper uh, divinatory uh, experience there. Um, and the same is true for your spell work. Um, give it a shot. And there's no real one way to do that, right? I, I think in trying to teach people to do this, that's really the gist of it. Like sit, kind of center yourself, raise your energy, and then in the process of pushing your energy toward what you're trying to achieve, particularly in the context of spell work, um, in addition to pushing your energy toward what you are trying to achieve, um, send or project some component of your aura toward that situation as well. Because in doing that and encapsulating the results or what you visualize would be the result or the end goal, um, in doing that, your aura will then also function as a component of your being to, again, to kind of bring that or to attract that, to call that close to you. Right? It works. It works. It might sound a little weird, but I promise you it works. So I want to talk to, uh, or from there, I want to move to a little bit more about maybe the an anatomy of the aura, if you will. Um, and it's important to, to know this, particularly as it would relate to, um, you know, the, the skill or developing your ability with maybe seeing the aura. Um, because I think that, again, a lot of people have this idea that the aura is like this um, ovoid or oval-shaped or even maybe sometimes circular kind of barrier of energy that kind of just sits around us. Um, but that that's not true at all. The aura in shape actually looks more like a torus. Um, and that's not Taurus like Zodiac Taurus, that's Taurus like geometry, that's T-O-R-U-S, Taurus. Um, you can actually Google T-O-R-U-S and actually you can find um, uh, images of what a Taurus or uh, a Taurus or a Tauric field looks like. Um, and in essence, it's basically kind of like just like a donut. And it sits kind of around us. We kind of are sitting in the middle, like what would be like the hole of that donut, right? And the aura, as it moves, it kind of moves up from the middle and then up and over and out. And then it kind of like cycles back down and back in to the center of that hole. And that is how the aura, just anatomically, how the body of the aura itself, how it functions, how it moves. Um, and that consistent movement, that fluctuation is also going to be one of the things that is going to be that we need to factor in when we look at issues of uh, the aura around maybe say things like color and texture, which we will also talk about in a moment. Okay. Um, yeah, but but be aware of that because I think that a lot of people when they, they start to develop their skill or they start to try to practice and develop the skill with seeing the aura, they um, can get impressions and they can see things in the aura that um, it, it becomes real clear real quick. Like, well, I don't, I'm, this doesn't look quite right. Like this isn't shaped right or this doesn't look quite right. This isn't moving in a way where I, I would really feel comfortable saying that this was like, like, uh, you know, like a bubble of energy. Things just, they just don't look like that after a while once you develop your ability enough. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the idea of color to the aura. And um, and there's a little bit of uh, controversy around this because I think that color associations in general are so personal, right? You could go and you could get an aura reading and that person could tell you that your aura has a lot of blue in it, right? Um, you could go and you could get Carillion photography done and actually see some uh, light reflection or, or kind of a, a light manifestation of what would be your aura, right? Um, and I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, how I feel about Carillion photography and aura readings. Um, but, you know, but people do these things, right? And that's okay. Um, but you could have one of these things done. And in the process of that reading or that, that photography, you could find that you have a very bright, like you've got a lot of blue in your aura. Now, the, the thing with that is that in deciphering what that really means, you can't really go to an external source for that. 
Um, the fact that you are seeing that color, the fact that that is the color that is coming through, because remember, though, your aura is its own thing. It is also an extension of you, and it will be heavily influenced and impacted by your emotions and what you believe. So if you have a very particular association to the color blue, that's probably why that color is popping up in your aura. And in deciphering what that might possibly mean, your determination or your association for the color blue, that's the, the meaning that you need to be listening to the most. Other people will tell you, well, blue means this and red means this and yellow means this. But if those are not what those colors mean to you, that is not what those colors mean in your aura. Your aura is you, your associations, your belief. Um, so remember that because people get a little confused about aura and uh, or the color, excuse me, the color of the aura. Okay, um, to uh, expand on color a little bit, um, you know, again, I want to say that no one is going to have a consistent color to their aura. Um, the auric field, again, particularly that secondary level that's, that connects so strongly to the emotional component of our being is constantly in flux, constantly uh, moving and constantly flashing with color. Um, you're, you're never going to see a static color in your aura. Your aura is a, is a spectrum of colors um, and all the time all the time. And that's that's normal. That's how it's supposed to work. You can have prominent colors in your aura. Um, but that, again, I, I want to make very clear, you know, is, is not going to be a solid uniform kind of thing. Yeah. Um, now, one other thing on color, and this is going to be kind of more of like a personal kind of an observation. But when we're dealing with aura, the aura and talking about this and developing our skill with kind of, you know, with, with reading and, and seeing the aura, we get so caught up on the color. And I just want to say really quickly that the color of the aura, though it can be significant and it does have meaning, the color of the aura, really, to be honest, is kind of the, the, the least of what the aura actually is doing for us. It has so many other functions as it would relate to the things that we discussed initially with the different layers and their processes, their jobs for what, what we they do for us, right? So if you are someone who is developing your skill or you're trying to work with the aura, and I've met a lot of people over the years who have this problem, you can see the aura, but it doesn't really register color for you. Don't worry about it. Okay, there's nothing wrong with you. Okay, I think to be honest, we prioritize or we we focus a bit too much on the color of our aura rather than focusing on the other very important jobs that it does for us. All right, so let's shift to I think um, a couple of things that I do want to discuss that have association to color but also kind of lean us into things that would have a bit more to do with like what i would call maybe the texture of the aura okay um and so and these will be things that are um you know for whatever you know whatever good or bad they just they are what they are right but these will be actually common if you get to a point where you're seeing the auric field you will sooner or later you will run into something like this you'll see this and it's a good idea for you maybe to be able to recognize these things um but what, what I would call maybe like a gray haze, almost like smoke or like gray clouds that, um, that kind of move around, that kind of swirl around within the aura. Those will pop up and those actually can be very common. Um, when we see something like this in the auric field, this is usually an indication of a stagnant kind of energy flow in that person. Um, and that doesn't mean that the energy has stopped, just that it's not maybe moving in the way that it should be. Okay, this pops up really consistently when we're looking at doing spiritual healing work on people, you know, and they're coming to us as healers because they have a particular issue with a particular system or organ or some, some component of their physical being. 
anytime that we see a physical health issue pop up, the energetic body will usually mirror or give us a sign of that same situation. You know, and again, it's not necessarily a block, but it is an indication of an imbalance of sorts. Energy is not moving the way that it should be. So when we see gray haze, this is usually an indication of some sort of stagnant energy. And again, in the context of healing, this is usually going to give us some indication where it may appear in the auric field, where it kind of moves around and is the closest to in the auric field as it would kind of like overlap the physical body. That usually will give us an indication of maybe where that stagnant energy is impacting the physical body or where it is kind of coming from in connection to the physical body. So, um, you know, again, to kind of drive that home, you know, if you're seeing someone who's coming to you because they, um, you know, maybe they broke a bone, you know, in their lake and in looking at their auric field, you see something like gray haze popping up down there kind of around wherever, where the injury, the physical injury in that broken bone is healing. That would make sense. You're going to see that because that is the energetic body and the aura showing you like, hey, the body's immune system and the, the things that go on in the process of rebuilding bone and healing this kind of an injury, energy is certainly moving a bit differently right here, right? So, um, so it's nothing necessarily to be alarmed about. Um, but, uh, but it is again, usually an indication like, oh, Hey, this might be something maybe we need to focus on a bit more. Right. Um, now, since we're talking about healing and I like to try to make sure that when we talk about energetic and spiritual healing on the podcast, that we also clarify that energetic and spiritual healing, while it can do really amazing things for us, it is never, ever, ever, ever a substitute for traditional, like physical medical healing or things like therapy, different types of therapy and counseling. Okay. Um, go and see your, your, your Reiki master, go and see your spiritual healer to help you with those issues, but also do make sure that you go and you see your doctor. Do make sure that you go and you see your therapist. Okay. Um, anytime we're doing any kind of personal, uh, improvement, healing work, growing any whatever it is whatever it is we need to make sure that we're being holistic in our approach to that because if we're not we sooner or later we create some other sort of imbalance okay so please remember that as i talk about spiritual and energetic healing okay um from gray haze i want to move on to uh black spots or masses uh that are like very dark like black spots or black masses that can appear in the aura these are typically a little more serious um as they usually will represent limiting spiritual influences um in that person's life they also can be indications of like parasitic kinds of energies or things that are draining that person in some way draining that person's energy in some way um you know, and these over time, what makes these really kind of a challenge is that over time, these can be an omen of chronic health problems, things that are either maybe ongoing or things that are maybe likely to occur very quickly in these in these people's lives. Um, you know, and when we talk about, you know, drains and parasites, you know, we're not just talking about, just to be clear, I'm not just talking about spiritual kinds of parasites or spiritual drains. Um, sometimes these black spots and masses, these are things that are definitely the result of just other living people that, you know, are for whatever reason, you know, they're just, they're just not a positive influence in this person's life. And they've been around for a long time and they have now caused this to kind of build up or happen. So when we see something like this in someone's auric field, it's usually an indication that this person is probably already feeling maybe low energy. This person is somebody who is maybe kind of one of these, like, I'm already kind of at the end of my rope kinds of personalities, right? Because they're already having a lot taken from them, you know? Um, and these are almost always the people when I see them that I'm like, I encourage these people, like, you know, 
hey, you know, maybe asserting some boundaries would be a good idea, or maybe it would be good for you to kind of take inventory and do what you can to kind of remove some of the things in your life. Maybe you're not working for you very well. Um, if you, they are dealing with an actual spiritual kind of a parasite, um, those are going to be the connections for those parasites are usually going to be what pop up when we see these black spots in the auric field. And that's usually an indication of where maybe we need to go directly to work to remove that connection or that kind of that tether. Right. So something else that can pop up um, from there, I want to talk about uh, brown coloring within the aura, which gets a little tricky. And initially, as you're developing your skill with seeing the aura and even potentially moving on that into seeing color, I don't want you to get too concerned about brown at the beginning. But as you start to feel more of a comfort level and the colors and the things are coming through a bit more easily, I want you to... Um, if you see brown, I want you to go with your own intuition and instinct on this, but brown as it appears in the auric field can be a couple of different things, okay? If it is what I call a healthy, earthy kind of brown, okay, um, then it's usually going to be an indication that that person is very grounded in their physical body, and they may be on that. They may even be somebody that is like very... Um, like they're very health conscious, you know, they're all about wellness, well-being, wholeness, you know, these kinds of things. You know, these are people typically that are very mindful of, you know, their exercise, their diet, these kinds of things. They're very about the physical, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, but they do tend to be people that are, are very grounded in the physical world. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of earth signs running around out there with probably a little bit of that healthy brown, excuse me, a little bit of that healthy brown popping through in their aura. Um so that's not necessarily anything you need to be worried about, right? Because that's not a bad thing. Um, what I call maybe like dingy or like 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 dirty or like what, what I guess what you would maybe intuit as an unhealthy kind of brown as it would maybe a swirl or kind of pop up in patches throughout the auric field. These are going to be a sign of like an actual blockage. Um, not like gray haze, right? That was just an imbalance or a, a, an energy moving differently than it should be. These are like an actual like, oh, wow, nothing's actually happening here. Um, you know, and that can be, again, a real problem. Um, browns are almost always going to connect us very strongly to the physical body once again. And so when we see something like that, like an unhealthy brown pop up in the auric field, that is almost always going to be an, an indication that wherever that brown may be appearing in the auric field, that whatever physical component of the body, whatever part of the physical body it's sitting closest to, like there's something up, there's something wrong in that area of the body. Um, and that would be, again, kind of like a, a, a place to pay extra attention to if we were doing healing. Um, I, I've even seen in years past, I've had situations where I've had people come to see me. One client in particular who came to see me who had um, like brown swirling or moving through the aura, the area of his aura, like kind of over his chest, you know. And I initially, when I, I saw that, I interpreted it as maybe perhaps an issue with his heart. Um but I told him and his wife, his wife was there fortunately as well, because he probably wasn't someone that would have listened to me otherwise. But I think she kind of nagged him after I left because I told, I told them, I said, I, I, you need to go see a doctor and don't wait. Like, please go see a doctor as soon as you can, because there's something here. And I'm not trying to put fear into you. What I'm trying to do is warn you, because if you can approach this and if you can do something about this now, you could probably save yourself a lot of trouble later on. Um, and I did hear, it was several months later, but I did actually hear from the, the woman in this situation, this, this gentleman's wife. I did actually hear that he did go see a doctor and it wasn't necessarily a heart issue, but he did have a, a problem with his cardiopulmonary system. It was something I believe that actually was more heavily impacting his lungs. Um, I believe, I believe they diagnosed him with COPD. I think it was COPD. Um, God, hopefully I'm thinking of the right 
disorder. I mean, yeah, I think it was COPD. Uh, anyway, but that that was just an example uh, and, a, and a personal experience that I had had that kind of made it very clear to me, like, oh wow, there's like something going on here, um, you know. And and it did it did help this man. Fortunately, he was able to go, and they were able to find this to detect this, and they were able to get him on some care and some medication, some therapy that was able to help him. Um, so this this stuff works. This stuff is legit. And if we, we are smart and, and we learn these things accurately and we utilize these things accurately, we, we can really help ourselves and we can certainly help a lot of other people. Um, so talking about those or moving from those, I want to now talk about a couple of other interesting things that can pop up related to the texture and the shape of the aura. Okay. Um, I want to talk next about holes or what would appear like worn areas, like worn or holes or almost like craters within the aura, typically the outer layer of the aura. Um, these do certainly take a little bit more time and practice to recognize. They can be tricky to, to decipher initially um, or to be able to see clearly or to sense because a lot of people when they're working with the aura, they don't physically see the aura as an energy field or as an energetic body, they don't physically see color, but they will get intuitive senses around those things. It's very much a like, I don't see this with my physical eyes, but I definitely see this in my mind's eye kind of a thing. Um, and that's usually how it works for me, to be honest. When I talk about seeing the aura, typically I get momentary flashes with my physical eyes, but the images that persist, the ones that I can really work with and focus on, are almost always mind's eye kinds of situations. Um, so don't, don't be worried if you have a difficult time physically seeing the aura. Keep at it, okay? Um, but worn or, or craters, like these kinds of things as they appear in the aura, these are typically what result from the black spots that I mentioned earlier. These black spots are these black masses that can appear in the aura. When they persist long enough, typically what they end up doing is they end up actually creating a hole in the auric body. Um, and it's tricky when this happens because at that point, there really isn't a whole lot that you can do to help that person with that situation. The aura is, um, is again, like our own physical bodies. The aura does have the power to kind of heal itself, but it takes time. Um, and so it's tricky when you see something like that, because that is, um, that's usually a sign that uh, that person has been dealing with difficulty for like a very long time. There's been something that's been going on in their lives that has been just, just not good for a very long time. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, and at that point, you know, you help them as best you can, right? Um, but um, one of the other things that can can cause these is, again, not only are um, the, the black spots initially is, again, those parasitic attachments. So um, so usually if we see something like, like again, a worn area or a crater in the aura, that's, again, another sign that this is somebody maybe who's also for a prolonged amount of time has been dealing with a, a pretty what, what probably has become a pretty strong parasitic kind of a connection or attachment, you know, and we may need to look at what we can do to help them remove that, right, if it still is there, okay? One other thing that can cause this to happen in the energy fields of people, and this is the one that really, to be honest, really kind of irks me the most. This is the one that really bothers me the most. But as more and more people have decided that they are spiritualists and psychics and healers and whatever the hell else it is they call themselves, as more and more people are finding, them, finding themselves drawn to doing that work, but then not also actually doing the training and actually learning what they need to do to really be doing the real work. They just, you know, they they decide, oh, this is what I am. This is what I want to do. I think I'm an empath. I think I'm a starseed. 
I'm going to go into business and help people, but they don't really do anything to really learn the things that they need to do. Um, you know, these kinds of practitioners, these kinds of people, they can, in essence, if you go to one of them and they do energy work on you, they can temporarily, at least, they can punch a hole in your aura. If they are channeling energy and not doing it in the right way, they can temporarily, they can damage your auric field. Um, and then again, your aura will typically heal or close over in a situation like this, but it can take a little while. Um, you know, and I think that that is really unfortunate. I see that happening a lot more with people. People come in and see us here in the shop for healing work. Um, even just interacting with people just day to day, I will sometimes catch these things in people's fields. And depending on my mood and, and, and the context of the situation, I, I've gotten into the habit actually of asking these people, like, have you recently done any kind of energy work? You know, um, and if so, you know, may I ask with who, who did you, who did you go and see to do this? You know, um, you know, and they're usually really happy to volunteer that information, right? Because they usually, you know, have some idea of who I am and, you know, that I'm into this kind of stuff, right? So they want to talk about it, right? Um, but I've had a couple of situations over the years where I've had to steer someone away from another practitioner or I've even had to contact um, another practitioner, I've had to let them know, like, oh boy, you, you, I think you need a little more education. I think you need to learn a little bit more about this before you continue to work on people. Okay. But that's what's happening when we see something, maybe like a hole or a crater or a worn area in the auric field. So last I want to discuss, uh, what I would call barbs or like almost like spikes or sharp protrusions that can form along the outer surface of the aura. Okay, um, these are, again, unfortunately, these are very commonly seen, you know, and that to me is an indication, I think, of the world, the reality that a lot of us unfortunately find ourselves living in right now, right? I think those of you who listen to the podcast will probably agree that the world isn't always the safest and most friendly place for us, right? Um, but in in going back to, to these as they appear in the aura, okay, what usually is happening when this you see something like this happening in the aura is that that is already a sign that that person is feeling uncomfortable, uh, unsafe, or threatened in some way. Um, that kind of response in the auric field is something that is um, going to be, I would say, almost like an unconscious reaction or an unconscious thing that the aura does to try to protect us in situations where we are feeling unsafe in some way. Um, and again, you can see maybe why this would be a common thing, right? I think a lot of people, unfortunately, we live lives and we, we have to kind of navigate life in a world now that has, I think, a lot of us, a lot of the time, maybe feeling a little unsafe. Um, over the years, as I've taught uh, classes on things like psychic self-defense, um, I've actually taught or I tell people to utilize this aura, this response in the aura, to actually concentrate and to focus the aura in such a way to shape spikes and barbs on the outside of the aura, I have to use that consciously to help keep them, uh, or to keep situations and particularly people that would be more inclined to make them feel threatened, people that they feel are unsafe for them, to actually keep those influences and people away. And it works really, really well. You can absolutely do these things consciously. You can focus in a way that will allow you to utilize the aura to, to do this consciously to as kind of like a, a controlled defense kind of mechanism. Um, that doesn't mean that you're completely safe, right? These spikes are not going to you know, prevent you from that getting hit by that car. They're not going to stop you, right? So you still need to make good decisions and you still need to assert boundaries and you still need to do what you can to change patterns of behavior that you know may bring you into connection with unsafe influences, right? Um, but these are things that can help in the moment, okay? Um, but these, um, usually they form 
and the aura, and then they'll typically they'll disappear pretty quickly, like once that immediate sense of danger has has passed. Um, usually these will kind of go away. It's almost like they kind of like sink back into the surface of the aura. Um, but um, sometimes you'll see people, you'll meet people that actually will have like, they're just constantly like this. And there are usually other signs um, in these people, like typically their behavior, their physical demeanor um, that will let you know like, oh, wow, this is somebody who definitely is living life in survival mode. Like this is definitely somebody who maybe has been through some pretty serious trauma, somebody who has not really had the opportunity to really to kind of heal and to move past that, right? And these are the people that are like, they have a very caged tiger kind of an energy, right? Um, it's like they're just, they're kind of looking for the next bad thing or they're looking for that next fight, right? Um, you know, and that's very sad for them. But, uh, but when we see people like, this we do need to kind of approach them for, you know we need to handle them very cautiously right um the i guess the the bad thing the sad the sad thing about this is that people who have this kind of formation in the aura are usually not going to be open to help with spiritual work um because it's just something like that is just far too intimate there's just too much possibility that they could get hurt there right so these are going to probably be some of the last people that would ever seek us out for help um, which, which is again sad because they typically they need healing and and, and uh, nurturing probably more than a lot of others. Um, but this is also good for us on the one hand because we are uh, probably less likely to find ourselves dealing with these people regularly. Um, and that's good for you and for me and for the rest of us that do any kind of energy work for other people because these these people can be very difficult to deal with. We'll just say that. Um, so. From there, I want to add just another quick note on maybe uh, or provide information on just a very simple practice that you can do to kind of help focus or develop your ability to see auras. Um, and you may have heard this exercise somewhere else. If you do Google searches for exercise to see the aura, you're going to find a whole lot of information. Um, and this might be one that pops up here and there. But I, I've made a couple of just minor adjustments because I have found in the past as I've taught students, uh, as I've taught classes on seeing the aura, things like this, um, I've I've found that this has been a little more helpful. Some of these tips and these minor changes have been more helpful or conducive to people. Um, so what I recommend is somewhere in uh, a personal space, your home, your room, whatever, right? Um, if you have a wall that has, say, like a lighter color, doesn't need to be a particular color or, or white, just a lighter color and a solid color, um, I want you to do what you can, like prop something up. Maybe you're convenient. You have a piece of furniture or, or a convenient shelf of some sort. But I want you to actually take a plant, like a, a, a pot plant, like a house, like a house plant in a little pot, and I want you to um, set that in front of that wall. Um, and uh, it, again, doesn't matter what kind of plant. Right? Doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Okay. Plants are also living living beings, and they also have an aura. Most every living being, every you know, consciously aware kind of thing, even even things that we wouldn't necessarily associate as living conscious beings, like like stones and things, even they have an auric field. They have an energy field. They do. Um, but plants are are nice to learn with because they don't move it's much easier to get a plant to sit still on a shelf for you for, you know, like a half an hour than, you know, maybe to get like a, a, a human person to sit and do that, right? So place a plant on the shelf and then allow yourself sit across the room, you know, and you don't need dark, you don't need bright light, just like normal daylight, right? So you can see clearly, uh, but allow your eyes to relax. And you may need to do this a few times before you, you kind of get into the habit, before this maybe starts to feel natural, okay, or before you feel comfortable doing this. And if you feel a little silly doing this, then that's okay. Have fun with it. Um, 
but allow your eyesight to relax. And typically what you'll find, the first thing that will probably happen is you'll start to notice usually just a few, like seriously, just a few millimeters or just, just very close to the surface of the leaves and the other physical parts of that plant. You may start to notice almost like this shimmering, um, the, the way to describe it, I guess the easiest way to describe it, and hopefully this will give you all a visual, but um, if you've ever been like traveling or driving in a car through like a, like uh, like a, an area of the country where it's like a really hot summer and the, the asphalt is like, you get those heat waves that kind of come up off of the surface of the road, that shimmering kind of mirage kind of like kind of thing that happens with those heat waves that's kind of what what the aura looks like when you first start to to practice and develop your skills seeing it um and you may see something like that just a very thin layer kind of like around membrane kind of with that texture and that kind of movement um kind of kind of floating with seemingly what looks like floating near the physical plant or just just kind of off the surface of the physical plant um and that is going to really be kind of your first step toward actually seeing or visualizing the aura with a little bit of time and again practice, you're going to find that your ability to see that energy um, is, is certainly going to expand. You're going to get to a point where you'll start to notice um, layers kind of within that energy field coming off of that plant. Um, from there, typically, you'll then start to get associations with color. At the point that you start to see color, I'm going to recommend that you then stop using a plant and actually move to, um, like, maybe, you know, again, if you can find, like, like, a buddy, like, somebody who's willing to actually sit there and be still and quiet and allow you to focus. Um, mainly because plants are, are wonderful to start to learn, but they're not really going to be able to give you the full spectrum of layers and color and just some of the other things that we talked about tonight. Um, yeah, and that's really going to be a, a fairly simple and introductory practice to being able to see the aura. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed this information, and hopefully um, this will maybe help dispel some mystery around the aura and what it is and how it actually has um, application to the practices that we do as witches. And um, again, thank you as always for supporting the podcast. Austin and I will be back next week with a, another regular episode. We continue to get some very cool questions coming in from some of our listeners. Um, and we do, though we've had um, uh, some difficulty with uh, a guest here in the last couple of weeks, you know, being able to actually get them on the podcast. We do also have some other very cool guests lined up here in the coming weeks. So um, so thanks again for listening. And, um, and, and as I was just mentioning, if you have any questions, because we continue to get questions, if you have any questions or if you want us to clarify anything, please contact us. Let us know. Um, if you like the podcast, Please give us a rating on the um, the platform that you stream us on so that we can keep doing what we do. All right. And uh, that's going to be it. Thank you, everyone. Bye.